and welcome to India Startup Chat, the best podcast series on startups, investments, opportunities and views from India. Brought to you by Ravi Gururaj, Mukun Mohan and me, Lakshmi Rebecca. Here is this week's chat. Hello and welcome to India Startup Chat. This is podcast number 15. We've got Mukund and Ravi here. Namaskara. And we're doing another recording together in the same room at the same time and most importantly in the same time zone. So it's great to be here. I'm mentally always in the same time zone with you guys. You know? I'm always thinking wonderful, warm, nice Bangalore versus rainy, cold Seattle. Yeah, thinking about masala dosas and idlis and vadas. But you know what the amazing part is? Uh, whenever I have, so every Saturday morning, the girls make me, make them a Indian breakfast, right? So yeah. whether it's Rava Idli or Rava Dosa or something yeah. like that. And the only thing that they complain about is that they don't get, uh, so MTR gives you this, some brand of chutney pudding or something. Okay. So they keep telling me, let's go there and get that chutney pudding. So I better go run actually and get it. <laughs> I better go get it, put your suitcase back. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so the topic for this podcast is angel investing. And it's fantastic to be doing this with Mukund and Ravi because both of them know everything about this. They've done this a few times over. And also, there were once entrepreneurs who were invested in by angels. So they've, they've, they've got the exposure from both ends of the spectrum. You know, I'm going to start by asking about the right motivation behind angel investing uh, because it's it's probably more high risk than people most people actually realize. So what should be the right motivation behind angel investing? So I think I learned this from another friend of mine. He said two things. Number one, angel investing is about learning. It's constant learning. So you might get a return, which is a good thing to expect but you're primarily motivated to learn as much as you can about new markets and learn about new entrepreneurs and learn about new technologies, etc. number one. The second motivation should be to be able to help as many people as you can as your way of giving back uh, since you've done fairly well or reasonably well. Second motivation should be able to give back. And I think the third motivation to be an angel investor obviously should be able to help the community grow in a lot of lot of different ways, but more importantly, grow it with the ability to bring new people into the fold. So I think those should be the three motivations. Of course, you, you, you end up making money, but as you mentioned clearly, it's a very risky value proposition, and you should have the mindset that you might lose all your money. And that happens not in very many cases, but it does happen. Sure. Ravi, why don't you tell us about the risk involved and how, you know, how much of a risk appetite should someone actually have before they should decide to get into angel investing? Yeah, so I always tell anybody who asks me, any prospective investor, that it's called angel investing because you invest and then you pray to the angels, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there's a very good reason why it's that. Uh, You know, but, you know, I think you've got to come in with the mindset that, you know, you on any given bet, you might lose all your money and you will, you know, the chances are that eight out of 10 are not going to make it anywhere, right? But that's fine because that's exactly the way the VC business works too, right? Which is, this is just the, a baby version of the VC business and sometimes even worse because you're, you might be finding, funding a lifestyle business or a bootstrap business. You're just a bootstrap founder with, with who's providing finance, right? And not, uh, execution. Uh, so, you know, that's fine. I think, you know, you've, uh, some of the motivations that Bukun laid out are out there. You should not be betting the house on your angel investments for sure. It should not impact you from uh, a, a personal financial perspective. If it does, then you're on the wrong 
you're, you're betting either the wrong amount of money or you're betting too much, you know. Uh, it shouldn't be something that you wake up every morning and hate your founders, <laughs> you know, and say, where's the return? You know, it's been too long. It will be too long. It will be uh, ambiguous whether they're going to get a, ever get a return. Uh, it will be a rocky road. Uh, and, you know, every now and then a founder will surprise you or many, uh, hopefully many times you'll be surprised over the course of, in terms of how, uh, you know, they, they, they outperform your expectations. <laughs> but, you know, I think you just got to be patient. It's got to be patient capital. You got to think of it as semi-permanent in some sense, right? Because you can't predict the exits. Uh, I think you got to pick well. So obviously you can't bet in everything. So you got to be, uh, you know, you got to have some amount of discretion in what you pick. And then really try and push them, and you know, uh, to perform well, to help them in various ways, and then don't micromanage because you know you you can't you know if you want to be the founder, go found a company. <laughs> if you want to be an investor, please invest and help, and then stay out of the way and buy into the vision of the founder. If you don't buy into the vision, don't invest. Fantastic points you made there about being hands off and uh, sort of letting things happen organically. So you just as an angel investor, you're a facilitator and a source of encouragement, and then your role kind of stops there. But um, obviously, apart from sort of choosing the right team to invest in, there's a lot more to making the deals happen. So how do you source the right deals, right, in the verticals that you may be interested in? How do you structure the deal? How do you do the due diligence? Yeah, so, you know, in terms of sourcing, you, you get it at events, you get it uh, through referrals, you meet people through networks, angel networks of various kinds, you know. You get inbounds, uh, cold call inbounds, right? Uh, I think mostly what works best is if you, you know, all of those are just sources of very initial contact. You've then got to meet uh, with the team, get comfortable with the plan, get comfortable with the space, you know. Uh, and, you know, I think oftentimes you can make an assessment very early that you like the person, you like the plan, and then you just dig a little deeper. I don't think there's, uh, you know, other than the kind of regulatory tutorials, have they set up a company and all that, in most of the very early stage uh, things, you're mostly assessing the team and, the, and the, the, the traction that's possible to be achieved in the early stage in the market they're going after, right? Uh, I think there's not a lot more due diligence. I don't, I don't go and sit and read Gartner reports and, you know, whatever it is to figure out if this is a good space or not, right? In that sense, you know, might do some little bit of asking around, talk to some of my friends, uh, you know, who may be in that in industry or maybe touching that space. But that's the due diligence, you know, in some sense. Uh, a lot of angel investors are really, you know, uh, trust in the, the entrepreneur once they get a good feel that this is something you can execute on, right? Sure. Mukun, you know, when, I, when I'm talking about how to get into angel investing, one of the things that comes to my mind is how much equity do you expect for a certain amount of money, right? Uh, that could be a podcast of its own, yes, because there's, there's a lot of, yeah, there. that's a lot of conversation around there. So without touching upon money and share of equity, uh, what are your thoughts on how to source deals, structure deals, and do the due diligence? So the source deals portion, what I've seen is uh, most investors at the early stage who are individual angel investors tend to get deals primarily within the same area that they are an expert in. So let's assume, for example, I've done something in software as a service or e-commerce. I'll get new entrepreneurs who are young, who want to start something in e-commerce, who come to me and say, hey, you've done this before. Can you help me? I'm trying to do something you know, in the same space. So that, I think, tends to be the biggest source of deals early on. 
The second source of deals is then you expand the network a little bit and maybe get into a couple of other people who you know, who worked with before in the same space. Because I don't know too many people that invest in spaces they don't know anything about, especially in the angel side. Unlike VCs yeah. who are in it to make money, yeah. angels are in it to learn and in it to be able to give back, right? So that's the second part of it, how do you source deals? And of course, there are a lot of other syndication and ways to be able to source deals. So I think that's the sourcing portion of it. Um, the second portion of it is how do you figure out how to structure the deal in some senses, right? And while structures do exist, the two, three things that you want to keep in mind is whether you want to invest as an individual or do you want to invest as an entity. A lot of people, angel investors I know, for tax purposes or for liability purposes, put their angel investment into another organization, an NLC or maybe a private limited company or maybe even an entity outside and invest through that that reduces liability or changes liability to a certain extent as well. Then the third part of the structuring is also, so first part of it is how do you invest? Do you invest individually or do you invest as a company? Second part of it is where do you put this in terms of, uh, in terms of your priority for, for spending time and effort and energy? Do you do that with a side project or do you do that full time? So structuring that is important and there's no right answer. Some people have done, all they do is just angel investing. Some people just do it as a part of the job. That's the second part of it. The third part of structuring also tends to be what do you do to help support the company on an ongoing basis? Absolutely. Those are three parts. So that, that, that's, that's, you know, that's after once you've gotten in, you're the angel investor. That was going to be my next question. How do you support growth? You know, what role do you play? I mean, Ravi, you already mentioned you've got to be hands off, but... What is it that you can do to support growth? So I think, you know, the way I structure my, my angel, you know, involvement with the company is across, let's say, four Cs, right? Coaching is one thing and probably a dominant thing in the early stage, right? Our fraud, they just raised capital and presumably they just have a team and they're going at it, right? Uh, so that's one is, you know, coaching them, sitting down with them and understanding what questions they're trying to think, you know, bounce things off them, you know, be devil's advocate on certain decisions they're trying to make. and But, you know, let them do that, obviously, you know, because I think uh, I, I never prescribe, this is what I think you should do. I tell them, I think what you're doing is nuts <laughs> because I think you should do this or I love what you're doing and do more of it. And then, but, but I always tell them I'm more often wrong than I'm right. <laughs> so take that with a grain of salt, right? Uh, and so I think that's, that's one coaching is I think the second thing is they want to get after customers. So can you introduce them to somebody? Can you help them get to uh, a forum where uh, they might be able to meet potential customers? Uh, can you get them the, uh, the right connect into an industry area, right? It might be uh, that that might get them revenue, whatever it is, that, that's what's one. Sometimes they can't do that because if it's a mobile app, I can't get involved with how they're getting downloads from the web, from the app store or whatever. It's not that straightforward, right? Uh, the third is capital again, which is, you know, the one thing startups have is an insatiable appetite for capital. <laughs> you know, you keep fun. I tell founders, there's two jobs. You have to run the company and you have to keep fundraising, right, at the same time, practically. And it's a constant treadmill, right? Uh, so that's an area where, uh, you know, they need to, uh, they might need some help. And, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, you meet an investor, he says, okay, he or she says, what is the four or five companies you're looking at? What's exciting about them? Uh, so that itself is enough. You know, to kind of say, okay, I've got a couple here. Would you be interested in looking at them? Uh, the the last two things are, you know, connects uh, to press, to analysts, uh, to other ecosystem folks. You know, to accelerators. Uh, you know, wherever you can, you know, somebody in your network that you can help them. Uh, and it's mostly about uh, accelerating a cycle. 
you know, and helping them discover something that they may not have discovered, they may not have thought about, because you've heard something else was working well, you know, and, and then uh, the last thing would be talent, you know, and helping them uh, get talent. Because sometimes people come to you and say, hey, you're investing in all these companies, I'm looking for a new gig, you know. So you refer them to the three, four founders and, you know, maybe some, uh, some magic happens, right? So those are the areas I think you can provide. You know, of the, of the four things that you mentioned, only the first thing was really about just about listening there and being there as a person. All the other three was about connecting, connecting to cash, connecting to, you know, um, everybody, you know, potential sort of customers or whatever. And the third, of course, was connecting with a larger ecosystem so they can grow further. But at the same time, I always tell founders, I'm not your biz dev person. I'm not just going to open the whole Rolodex <laughs> up to you and, you know, start to, <clears throat> you know, write emails every night for you, you know, and don't come to me if the product's not selling, you know, I, and I, I'm very, you know, thing in the sense that I'll send them to a couple of customers, get feedback from those customers, you know, potential customers, that is, and then see if it makes sense to push more, right? Because I want to also make referrals that are effective, right? And I don't want to waste other people's time either. Just because I've invested in a company shouldn't be, you know, so I'm spamming everybody in my network, right? So I'm very, very, uh, in that sense, very cautious and conservative in making referrals. Well, you did say an angel investor has to be a little hands-off. So, Mukund, what would you say is the one thing that an angel investor should offer a startup in terms of support during their growth post the investment happening? So, there is things that uh, we should offer and the things that we end up offering. So, one thing Those are two different things, right? Uh, what we should be offering is just, in most cases, I've found that entrepreneurs just need plain support. Just being there all the time, right? Okay. Uh, being able to pick up the phone in the middle of the night Founders go through hell and it's a lonely, uh, it's very lonely being a founder. It so is. just being there and calling up and saying, hey, I had a bad day today and just listening, not providing any advice, not judging, just listening and saying, yeah, you know, I've been through that and not saying what I did, but just saying, yeah, I've been through that and this too shall pass. That's what we end up, uh, what founders end up asking us a lot. What we end up doing a lot is in a lot of cases and it's a lot of experience that you would eventually get there is actually getting in and doing things for them which I think you don't want to do but a lot of angel investors end up doing that okay. they see things going south maybe for a day or two and they suddenly get anxious that their money has been invested so they say let me go there go aside let me let me take care of the UI let me take care of the product let me go ahead and do some customer sales so let me go on a call with you do. you should not do but they end up doing that a lot a lot of angel investors I know will go on sales calls with with their uh, with their investments just to figure out if those guys are saying the right things or get the feedback and I think that that to a large extent as Ravi also mentioned right I'm not here to run the company for you they shouldn't be doing that but they yeah. end up doing a lot of that yeah and then now for the you know goose with the golden egg how do you exit once you've made your money actually hang on whether or not you've you've made your money you might just come to an exit whether or not you've made your money so how do you exit you know, as an angel investor, it's not something that I have control over necessarily, right? I mean, it, it's a, it's the company will hit a point and at you which can't force control either. Yeah, I can't force it either. So you know, it's it it, it they, you'll you'll get two two routes really. The company either exits completely, it sells itself off to somebody else, or you get an opportunity sometimes where uh, you know a VC is coming in and they want to maybe clean up the cap table or they want to provide a secondary to others so that they can own more of the company. So those are opportunities for angels to think about exiting. 
So, it, you know, in, in only one case have I actually uh, exited in a secondary, right? And even there is only partial. But mostly I stay in as long as the, the company is still vibrant, the founder is still going at it. My, my preference is to go the long run, right? And, and keep uh, the capital in. And so hopefully it will grow to many more X's than I'm getting right now in a secondary. But oftentimes the, the VC wants to clean up the cap table. They, they've got too many names on the cap table oftentimes. And sometimes, you know, in Indian startups, the cap table can get messy the processes can get messy so I can understand why they want that too you might need to take that sometimes right so the exit is one uh, acquisition is another right and those are the only two things I haven't had a company IPO yet <laughs> so we'll see hopefully soon exits are uh, as long as you realize exit will be hard and fast and, and it will be very few far and few between you should be okay but most people don't think that when they're coming in. They think of it like a real estate deal or yeah. they think of it like a stock deal. I put they money in. They absolutely do. Right? I put money in. I, they think of it even like gold in some cases. They're like, okay, I can take it to the pawnbroker and give the gold away. You can't take your shares and give it to somebody else and say, in some cases that has happened. But, you know, exits to a large extent, if you're trying to force it, just gives you suboptimal anything, whether it's returns or something of that sort. So I would say if you're thinking about that, even step back and even think through whether you want to invest in the first place, right? Don't even do that. Yeah, this kind of brings us back to the very first question, which is what are your motivations and what, what is your risk appetite? And do you understand the risk involved? That said, you know, a lot of angel investors also get in because they also want to make money. They don't think that they're doing it for charity alone, uh, which I totally understand and agree. But if the motivation primarily is to make only, the only motivation is to make money, then I think you're in trouble. If the motivation is I want to do these other things and try and make money, then you might actually be able to do that. The thing that I've learned more than anything else, which is counterintuitive, is that the thing that you chase is the thing that you don't get. And the thing that you don't chase is the thing that you get first. So if you just change your mind and say, I'm not going to go after returns. I've seen the most successful investors who did not chase returns, who wanted to do it for other reasons, get the best returns. And yeah. then the other thing I wanted to mention was there was a study done, I think the only angel investment study that has been done by, I think, the University of New Hampshire. And what they found out was some amount of just talking and working and doing the initial work with the entrepreneur, even if it is five or six to eight hours, is better than nothing. And it gets worse after a certain point in time. So it's a law of diminishing returns. If there's any amount of due diligence or discussion you want to do, five to six hours might be sufficient but if you do 20 hours you're just analysis paralysis and if you mm -hmm. do zero you're getting into deals that you don't know either so they've got a yeah uh, they've got an optimal kind of a thing and they've done this over over tens of thousands of deals so they know that some due diligence is required but they don't know what that due diligence is but you have to do at least some right five to six to eight hours. that doesn't mean you have to go read cartoon paper like Ravi had mentioned but at least understanding the space understanding who else is there trying to give the entrepreneur a sense for what they have learned is always useful yeah, the one other thing that, you know, tip I'd give to uh, angels maybe is, you know, try and build a small syndicate at least. Maybe not a huge syndicate, but a small syndicate because it gives you during that period when you're trying to make a decision, the opportunity to send this deal to others as well to take a look at, say, hey, I'm considering investing X. Uh, why don't you take a look at this? And, you know, somebody you trust. And it's just like two eyes and two ears and <laughs> on the same deal, right? And the second benefit of that is if the second person invests too, you're helping the founder close part of the round, right? So it, it serves both the diligence process and it helps uh, raise some more of the capital that's needed, right? Because you don't want to go into an undercapitalized company. You don't want to be the only one funding that company necessarily. You know, it's not, not necessarily the right dynamic, right? So that's one thing I've, I've always tried to do is build a syndicate of uh, good folks who can help the company, right? 
So I've got a number of the day. And the number is 43, not 42, 43. So you guys got to guess. What do you think 43 is? Is that the number of good angel investors in India? Is that the number of companies in your portfolio? (laughs) That must be the number of companies in Ravi's portfolio last year alone. (laughs) Last year alone. But no, 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 that's not it. So 43 is the percentage. Again, you can go to the New Hampshire Center for Angel Investing or something like that. 43 is the percentage of angel investment deals, which after five years actually end up returning something. Even if it is... I'm surprised. I'm actually surprised. That's high. High. It seems high. So that tells me that most angel investors find a way. And you know what? This is across not just technology. So obviously restaurants and, you know, people that angel invest in non-tech companies do make some money. It's not as... I would would bet the number is much lower for tech. I don't know the answer. It's probably 20. I don't think... uh, I don't know the answer. You know, it'll be half this. But also, it is on full cash, not on every deal. So it's not as if every deal returns you cash. So if you put... And also, the other number associated with this number is the number of deals you have to do. That's a very important point. That's Actually, important. you know, you can't be a, a completely tepid, tepid angel investor who's like making one deal a year and then watching that deal. <laughs> you know, actually, that makes you a micromanager in that company very quickly, okay? If you're that worried about it. So don't put too much into any one deal and do enough deals that you get a feel for how this works and you get a portfolio because I think you know uh, everything I've seen uh, and read is you need to get about 20 deals approximately let's say somewhere between 15 and 20 deals over time in your portfolio to be able to really get some returns overall right on a portfolio basis at a minimum so I'm sure the number may even be higher in India because uh, you know the exits are not yet there so to give yourself a shot at an exit in some of some cases, the other way, you may need to have 30 companies in your portfolio. You know? now, Lakshmi, the Dave McClure and, and those guys at Finance Startups have a number, and they've done this Monte Carlo analysis, and they come back and say, to actually be successful as a early-stage investor, angel or whatever, micro-VC or whatever, you need to at least do 92 deals for you to get one, one reasonable deal that returns your entire cash on cash plus a 20% IRR or a 3x return. So when Mukund says cash on cash, what he means is, you know, the, if you put together, let's say, you know, 50 lakhs in total investment in five companies, you put 10 lakhs each, does one of them return the whole 50 lakhs? Or, or in aggregate, do they all return the 50 yeah. lakhs when you exit, right? So yeah. as a, you're almost looking at like almost like a mini fund, right? Fantastic. So great conversation there on Actually, angel investing. investing in angel investing. <laughs> like, hey, I'm an angel, I'm not an investor, so forget about angel investing. I'm only going to do angel stuff. <laughs> you know, I'm an angel sitting with two angel investors. My life is set. <laughs> no, there's the guru is, and there's the monk with the Ferrari. I'm the angel. This is a good life. Investors, so now we have angel investors. <laughs> well, I think it was a great conversation on angel investing and those numbers really brought perspective. Thank you, Mukund. Uh, and I think I have a question for everybody listening. And the question is what is the one question you think you should definitely ask an angel investor before receiving funding from them so what is the question so uh, respond on twitter and facebook we're on at in startup chat and on facebook we're on india startup chat and we look forward to your responses and now for the winner of uh, of last week's question the question was um the craziest place you met a potential co-founder or an early hire and the winner is Shahavama. 
That is at least her Twitter handle. Uh, it is SHAH underscore VAMA. And her answer was that she met her co founder when they literally had an accident on the road, when her car bumped into his and it all started with a fight. Truly Bollywood. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> And that's it. End of wrap, podcast number 15. People will speak to you uh, in a fortnight. Thank you. Bye, Mukun. Bye, Ravi. Bye. And that was this week's India Startup Chat podcast. Get in touch with us on Twitter. The handle is at in Startup Chat. And on our Facebook page, India Startup Chat. Send in your feedback, suggestions and lots of retweets and likes. <laughs>